again, everybody. It's been uh, maybe like two weeks since I last put out an episode, and uh, thank you for uh, tuning in. Um, super, super stoked, bro, that we're doing, what is this, the sixth episode now? Uh, and you know what? It's been going great for me. I just, I love doing this, and uh, hopefully you love listening to it. And I think on the next uh, episode, I might have a guest. So uh, fingers crossed, guys. <laughs> All right, so how's this for uh, an awkward segue? See ya. Tom Hardy, Jada Pinkett Smith, Eminem, Elton John, Jamie Lee Curtis, Robert Downey Jr., Bradley Cooper, Lana Del fucking Ray, and I believe this is the only one that matters, but Amanda Bynes. Yeah. Her from the Amanda Show and uh, and that movie She's the Man. All of these celebrities, air quotes, are sober. Not to mention a bunch of others. But what I want to know is, are they on to something? Have you ever considered sobriety? You listening to this? Is it something you flirt with? Want to try out? Well, this episode is about sobriety and mental health and how they can coexist and maybe why they coexist. Maybe it's just about why they coexist. I don't know. But this is Cheaper Than Therapy and I'm Chris Kavaner. Let's get it started. <laughs> it wasn't that awkward of a segue. I'll give myself that point. Okay, so before I go into the whole sobriety thing slash uh, maybe I'll get there, I don't know, um... There are a few things uh, that you listeners need to understand about me. Uh, before I got sober, I was already suffering from anxiety, PTSD, and depression. And that was all before I started to like abuse substances as well. And uh, the substance abuse is how I chose to self-medicate. In order to put this all into perspective, like the scope of sobriety for me, I want to share my mental illness story with you. So uh, this is kind of like a hard thing for me to get through because it's not a fun place for me to visit in my mind or, you know, verbally as we're doing with this podcast. But it is necessary in order to uh, check in and do the work I need to do in order to heal and get better. So this episode, I'm planning to um, sort of stumble through my journey up until now and share with you my experiences of what mental illness is, or whatever that means, and in turn, maybe inspire you to check in with yourselves. Yeah, let's put a positive spin on it. No, I'm saying, let's use my hardships as a point of reference for your own lives. Use me, people. I just want to be loved. Oh, that is not good. <clears throat> oh, I always try to get funny when I get uncomfortable. I apologize, which I also do apologize a lot. It's actually interesting because, you know, I'm frequently described as funny. And to me, that just means I'm frequently uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like my anxiety coping mechanism or something, you know, humor. For me, it's like a crutch or a wall I put up. It's like, oh, I can't be upsetting you if I'm making you laugh. <laughs> you like me, right? I'm a good person. But uh, I think I'm falling off topic. I think what made me realize uh, I was mentally ill, like for real, was uh, self-medicating. And I guess that's what I'm probably going to end up calling this episode too, uh, self-medicating. 
it's sort of how most of us, if not all of us, deal with our emotional weaknesses, whether it be alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, food, working out, social media, even fucking Netflix. <laughs> For God's sakes, that is like a self-medicating thing. We're all doing it to like some extent. And when it gets to be too much, those around us start to hurt. And when we're hurting more than ourselves, our behavior is beyond self-destructive. It becomes dangerous. So yeah, self-medicating. Woo! So I'll start with like uh, when I had a nervous breakdown. I mean, I don't know what you'd officially call it, but it was really like this huge shift internally and I felt like I had lost all control uh, of my life. And not only that, I felt like I lost control of my mind. Yeah, so I really thought I'd lost it. Like, I lost my mind. And I guess you could assume I'm lucky in that sense because it happened to me while being, uh, you know, relatively young, 22. So I had a lot of time ahead of me to fix my shit up. (laughs) But it was such a blow. And when I think about it, to this day, I haven't fully recovered. I mean, I'm getting there, but I'm not 100%. Like, I'm not symptom-free or whatever you want to call it. Um, so in the summer of 2011, I was working at a bar in the downtown area of Montreal, you know, booze was my business and everyone around me drank. Uh, I was living with my wife, then girlfriend in an apartment downtown as well. And she was working the same job as I was. She was in the same bar as me. It was, it was so crazy, but it was also a toxic place. Uh, I had no idea it was damaging until it was too late though. I mean, it's never too late for anyone to change hopefully. But this whole situation, you know, it really would have been avoided if I had even an inkling as to what mindfulness was, or, you know, I didn't have my own stigma towards therapy and all that. So I drank every day. I drank when I woke up, I drank at work, and I drank till I passed out every day. And if I didn't do that, I'd feel unhappy. So it was like I was self-medicating to avoid the feelings of depression that laid beneath my everyday life. My medication of choice, by the way, uh, was alcohol. And it was so accessible. I mean, I worked with it. I sold it. I picked it up. I mean, everybody my age was drinking too. So it's not like I felt like I was doing anything wrong. I was just like a regular guy in his early 20s in party mode. But it was all the time. And really just outright exhausting now that I think about it. And since when I was drinking, I would feel happy, I had like confused the feeling of being happy with being drunk. And these two states were interchangeable to me until I was unable to have one without the other. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't, I wasn't happy unless I was drunk and I wasn't drunk unless I was happy. So it was very confusing to me. And I was a self-described happy drunk for that reason. I never thought I was hurting anyone though right? Like, I didn't even think I was hurting myself. And like I said, uh, my girlfriend was working with me at the time, and she had been expressing her annoyance with me at this period, you know, because I was always wanting to go out and and get slammered. (laughs) And I thought she was just being like, you know, a nagging partner. So I never really took her seriously, which is right there. I should have known that there was an issue. I mean, why wasn't I taking her concerns as a red flag for my behavior? It's like she saw this, and she was so young at the time, But she had been around what I believe to be some intolerable behavior in her life. So she's much more mindful and accepting of my flaws and is emotionally able to put in that work. I swear if it wasn't for her, 
dedication to our relationship, I'd probably be dead right now. Seriously, I fucking love you, Sarah. And she's right beside me. And I love you. I love you so much. God damn it. Anyways, so what she started doing was pulling the plug on partying and making an attempt for uh, moderation. And of course, I didn't see it that way. Like for her, going out to a bar was still okay. But you know, you go, you have a few drinks, hang out, and then pack up and go home. None of this staying until the bar kicks you out or drinking till you black out because the initiative she was taking, right, was to, to, to avoid the dangers of it. And because she was kind of bringing this into our habit, uh, I felt attacked, right? So I was confused as to what was normal behavior because I was surrounding myself with like-minded individuals who were just there to commiserate. And in turn, you know, they would even make me question the relationship I had with my girlfriend. But Sarah was there and was like, I'm not taking it anymore. And this was so stressful to me because I didn't want to admit my faults and stuff. I didn't want to think about how I was hurting. So, you know, the tension in our relationship at that time was just at like an all-time high. So, like I was saying, it's like the middle of summer in 2011 at this point, And the apartment beside my sister-in-law in St. Henry goes up for rent. And, you know, she's pregnant at this time. So we decided it would be a great idea to move in beside her and help her with the kid. And, you know, also change the atmosphere. We both agreed that we had to give something up or something had to give. And maybe living downtown beside all those bars was encouraging this terrible behavior that I had. But deep down inside... I knew it was a righteous move, but I also felt like in committing to this decision, it was a way of admitting that I was wrong. Now, this started to eat at me, and uh, as I came closer to the move, I started drinking even more and acting in, uh, in, in worse ways, basically. Like, here's an example. Um, I showed up at our work when she was closing, and I was fucking wasted, dude. And you know what I started doing? I just started working because the new busboy, in my drunken opinion at the time, wasn't fucking no, in no shape to be working. I don't know. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing or whatever I thought. And then I started to do the clothes for him. Now, keep in mind, no one asked me to do this. I'm just being drunk and fucking weird. Then I told the manager he had to pay me for my time, and I caused a big scene that I can barely remember. And my wife was like, yo, stop. But I wasn't hearing it because I thought I was right. And have you ever been so drunk that you thought you were right? It's like having a superpower for stubbornness, right? So that, like, caused a fight, obviously. And since I wasn't willing to admit I was wrong, there was no way to get a solution out of the problem. It takes, when you have a conflict, it takes the other person or you to admit your fault, and then a solution can be achieved. You cannot just fucking stubbornly disagree with someone. If you love them, you will fucking compromise. And that is just something I've learned with this crazy relationship that I've had with my beautiful wife. It is fucking a deep, deep story to me. And anyways, so I'm getting off topic again. Okay, so all the while this is all happening, the stress and stuff I had put myself under because of the move and all the uncertainty that came along with changing our lives, all these things were bubbling up, right? And I didn't know this at that time, but these bubbles, they were going to pop. So, we move. My dad helps me move. And I'm so hungover that day that I'm throwing up in the sink and, and like chugging beers. And my dad is like, what the hell is this kid doing? And I'm just like trying to laugh it off and trying to make it seem like, 
oh, I'm having fun. But my dad, you know, being the alcoholic he is, he doesn't speak up really because, I mean, and I'm assuming this is what his thought process was. If I, his child, is wrong being drunk in the day or whatever, then that means he, the dad, is wrong, right? It's weird to say, but he knew what was up, but he didn't say anything because that would for sure implicate him and make him reevaluate his shit. You know what I mean? And of course, you know, years later, my dad did get sober and to this day remains that way. And I'm super proud of him. But yeah, going back to the time, it was definitely touchy, I guess. Anyway, so we make the move. We do it and my wife and I go to work one night. And she's closing and I get cut early. So I go out and drink with like uh, one of my old buddies. And then I come back to the job to go get her. But I am fucked up like me and my old bro we were on one we were fucking i ordered uh, onion ring poots in and ate it at a bar like you know like disgusting and you know to make it to give you some i'm it's just i'm trying to avoid talking about the alcohol but i was drinking pints of jagermeister okay that's pints pints plural jagermeister disgusting and i was just drinking them anyway so i'm surly as all hell and I go to pick her up and then, you know, obviously I immediately start arguing with her because for some reason I didn't want to take a cab and probably that was because I just probably get like motion sickness and throw up and then, you know, then that would mean I was drunk and I didn't get drunk, right? You know, I'm fucking, I know how to control myself. So we fight and uh, we end up walking home from Crescent Street all the way to St. Henry, which is like, I mean, it's like four kilometers, but a drunken fight four kilometers could take you like two hours sometimes uh anyways i wake up the next day before work and i am hungover yeah still a little drunk and this is like 4 p.m mind you but i'm feeling weird you know like there's something i can't put my finger on now i can tell you now you know it, it was a panic attack but at that point in my life i didn't know what those were so to me it was some sort of unknown emotional and physical state and I start to think that I'm losing my shit. You know how they tell you in high school or whatever that drinking can screw with your marbles? Like drinking a beer is like pouring alcohol directly onto your brain. It's stupid, right? But it's not so stupid now because holy shit, I went through that. We're on the metro at this point where it, it, it like really hits me and starts and uh, I think I'm hearing something. Like, in my head, like, I don't know if I'm hearing words or something, but it's like I start making this irrational fear in my head that something is trying to kill me. There's something in my head, and it's growling at me and telling me to hurt myself. This, my friends, is what they should tell you in high school. If you drink enough, regularly enough, you can drink yourself into a temporary psychosis. And what is a temporary psychosis caused by alcohol? consumption? <laughs> wow, that's a tough run. Well, uh, basically, I mean, clinically, what I had was chronic alcoholic hallucinosis. It's kind of rare, but since I had been drinking so long, and I just guessed that my mind was ready to go there, you know, I don't know, but there it is. It was basically auditory hallucinations caused by Heavy alcohol consumption that is very alike to schizophrenia. Bro, I'm telling you right now, if you know someone who is schizophrenic, go give them a fucking hug. Right now, no questions asked because they fucking need it. I had a taste and wow, you become literally dysfunctional and paranoid. 
and and I don't mean that lightly. It's fucking impossible. Anyways, uh, so my case was basically three days after a big night out, and my hallucinations were so intense, I thought I was possessed by a demon. And the only way out was to kill myself. It's it's so crazy. And after a lot of therapy and mindfulness work, I know why I went there though. You know, I, I know why I labeled it that in my head and I thought that's what I was going through. So one, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me or what I was doing, despite what my wife was telling me at the time. So right there, I thought I was just a normal person and I had no um, emotional or uh, psychological problems. Two, my upbringing uh, encouraged the rationality because of religion that having your soul taken over by a ghoul was more likely than having a mental illness. So that's what I did. That's where the demon thing comes from. It was yet another way for me to put the blame on something else. So I'm still not ready. I, even though this shit is happening to me in my head, I'm still not ready to own up to my own shit. It's crazy. Anyway, so after freaking the fuck out, and having a huge panic attack that lasted way more than 24 hours, I called my mom and I told her to call a pastor because I needed to be exercised. Like, what the fuck? That is fucking insane. But you know what I end up doing instead? Thank God. Is I go to the hospital. And you know what? It turns out there's no soul-devouring demon trying to get me to kill myself. There's a problem with my head. And it was set off by a binge. I had been drunk for however many days straight, and after not drinking for a few hours, all this shit happened. So boom, right there. That's the the that's the 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 the, the chronic alcoholic hallucinosis. That's exactly the symptoms and how it becomes what it is. Anyways, what I want to iterate though is that that is the risk of self-medicating. This is the risk of, it's cool, I'll do it myself, I don't need the extra help. It's the risk of avoiding your problems and hiding them with whatever you're self-medicating with. This is why it's so important to check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it go there. I shouldn't have made a joke. I'm sorry. But seriously, so I go to the goddamn hospital, they give me an Ativan or whatever, and I immediately start to chill out. I'm immediately better. And I get to the point where I see a student doctor because that's how it works in Quebec. You don't see real quote-unquote doctors. But she um, <laughs> prescribes me some citalopram and I get sent home. And I can't fucking stay at my house. I can't stay at my new apartment. I don't know why. So I end up moving out. Not moving out totally, but I end up going and staying at my parents' place on a blow-up mattress in their spare room because I'm afraid of the basement. I don't know. It was like a weird point in my life. And anyway, so I stayed there for two weeks until I get to see a quote unquote real psychiatrist. And it was hell, dude. It was so fucked up. And by now, you know, totally the hallucinations have gone, but my anxiety is still very high. And I, I'm just so lucky to be having my beautiful life partner supporting me and by my side, encouraging me to go on. It was crazy. I was crazy. And it was all because I avoided admitting I was wrong about shit and turning to drink alcohol to keep it all stuffed down. It worked, but it didn't keep working. 
So I start doing these checkups at the mental hospital in Montreal called the uh, Douglas. Now, the Douglas, it has a reputation, and this is where, you know, we get all the stigma from mental health and stuff like that. Like, when I was little and uh, I'd get teased, or you'd tease people if you were being an asshole, they say shit like, oh, we're gonna check you into the Dougie. And, you know, I didn't want that to be me, but, you know, alas, some road brought me here, and there I was. Uh, Dr. Robinovich was his name, uh, my psychiatrist, and he really fucking helped me. Now, psychiatrists don't help you develop skills to get better, right? They help you find the right medication in order to be at a level playing field for you to get better. Um, this was his purpose, and because I was in something called crisis mode, I was going to the Douglas pretty much every week so they can get like keep an eye on me. Anyways, years later and a ton of sessions after, I'm still seeing a psychiatrist and now I'm also seeing a psychotherapist. But my goal is, uh, and still will be, you know, forever, is to be completely free of medication. And I think that's something that people who get sick think is now a part of their identity or life. And if they were eventually uh, and gradually able to get off their medication... You know, th their fear is that, like, if they were to stop taking the pills, they lose their identity or they'd have another episode. You know, I think I'm aware of my shit. I'm mindful now. And I have skills that I learned in therapy to ensure that I'll never get to that point again. Uh, because now I can see those red flags and I can take action on them. You know, that's being mindful. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I still slip. Can't help it. I'm human. I think about what I can do and I can do stuff about what I think. Right? That's like healthy mindfulness right there, I believe. If you're on meds and you don't really enjoy it, as I do, talk to your psych about it. I honestly have no idea over the past eight years uh, being on them, like what are the long-term side effects. <laughs> I mean, maybe my liver is fucked. I know it already was because of, you know, rum, but maybe it's worse now. I don't know. I don't trust the pills. I trust myself. Now, I'm saying that because I did the work and I now know that the root of my issues, it was PTSD from the Dawson shooting. Yeah. You know, I was there that day, but I should probably, you know, tell that story another time. But the PTSD caused me to drink, uh, and that encouraged my persistent depression, which gave me generalized anxiety because I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. But something sure did feel wrong, and I still deal with these things daily. They're just at a different scale now. They're more manageable because of the medication, because of the work I'm doing. Um, and that means I can cope, and coping is beautiful. But that's not something I want to have pills for anywhere. You know, pills isn't a fix. I don't think medication is a fix unless there is a huge chemical imbalance in your brain. I mean, yeah, you know what? Whatever cocktail the shrinks get you on that can help you be functional, fucking take it. Don't be ashamed of it. Even though I do have these goals to get off medication eventually, um, you know, it's both. Just try it. And you know what I've been doing recently that I never thought I'd do? I've been smoking CBD marijuana. I, I, it was something I've been talking to my psychiatrist about and my psychotherapist about. And I, I, it just kept coming up. And, you know, weed is legal in Canada now. You can just go into a fucking store and buy some. So I went and I asked, you know, um, what kind of weed can I buy that doesn't get me high? And then she was like, oh, the CBD weed. And then I did some, you know, research on it and ended up buying it. And now I, you know, I've been smoking a joint every so often and I feel fine. I mean, I don't feel ashamed. It's more just fun to do. Uh, and then the uh, the anxiety help that I get from it is nice. I mean, it's immediately effective. So there's that. But I'm not saying, you know, smoke weed. Because, no. 
because I don't smoke weed with a tea. Like if I got high, I'd probably get drunk too. You know, so it's a really fine line. But it's more just because I'm flirting with this point because I'm eight years sober now uh, that I'm flirting with the idea of uh, moderation again. Um, not that I'm willing and ready to uh, drink one beer that has alcohol in it, but, you know, I drank a non-alcoholic beer and it's basically the same as, you know, non-THC weed. It's like having a non-alcoholic beer. If the non-alcoholic beer helped you with anxiety, I guess... I don't know. Plus, weed is cool, man. No, I can't say that. Literally, it's not that cool. I mean, one thing that does make me nervous about the CBD uh, is like the, the, the fact that, you know, there's a warning on the package it comes in or whatever. And that warning says like, oh, it could cause like psychosis. And that makes me nervous. Uh, but I don't think it's something to be nervous about because like, let's say I was still hearing that shit in my head, you know, I, I'm pretty well knowledged in mental health now that, you know, I'd go and I'd call my psychiatrist immediately and I'd be on some super, you know, antipsychotics, no problem. Uh, I'd still hope I'd have enough of myself in my head though, if I were to have like a psychotic episode to be trying to improve a bit. I don't know. It's so sad. You know, when I think of other people who who they are and they get locked up in their heads because of some, you know, fucked up emotional trauma in their life, God, it's just so heavy and my heart goes out to you and to all of you who encourage your sick loved ones because you are the rock in their life. And uh, thank you. From, I guess, one person who's dealt with it to uh, somebody else who's dealing with it in a different way. You know, you guys are doing the, 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 the real work. Anyway, so we're talking about self-medicating, you know, not medicinal medicating. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. All I know is that um, I still self-medicate, right? Obviously, because of the CBD and because I fucking love going and doing shit in a way that is healthy. So the self-medication I'm into recently, yes, CBD, but what makes me real fucking happy is hanging out with my kids, playing with them. Uh, My son, my older son, loves to name new games. And it doesn't matter if it's the same game we've been playing forever, which is like just like roughhousing a little bit. He just calls it a name and it's the best. You know, one of them is Daddy Throws the Boys, which, you know, sounds violent, but it's just us playing and I throw them onto the bed and that's, you know, like the little toss. It sounds dangerous, I guess. And then the other one, what did he come up with today? Uh, uh, Sick Parrot Game. And basically that's just them jumping over me. I don't know how it's a sick parrot, but... uh, Maybe he meant to say sick parent and his little uh, four-year-old New Jersey accent, and he's not from Jersey, uh, makes it sound like parrot. So what's your self-medication is what I should be asking. You know, what do you use to ease the emotional pain of the world you're in? Do you drink? Do you uh, smoke nasty nugs? Booger sugar? (laughs) Melt cheese in the microwave and eat it with a spoon? I don't know. Just let me know and let me know if you want some advice on how to be more mindful about it because we all self-medicate and I think the only way to not let the self-medications we administer ourselves swallow us whole is to do as I didn't do and it's to be mindful of it. Look, I get that it's scary to go to a hospital because you know no one in a hospital is having a good day. In fact, it's probably the worst day of their lives. You know, everybody except the people on the fucking um, pregnancy or maternity ward 
is having a fucking terrible day. It just sucks to be in an emergency room. But yo, we live in fucking Canada, okay? It's free, so you might have to wait eight hours, but you will get help. The system works eventually. You know, it did for me, and I had to be put on a waiting list for therapy and all that, but I got it, and I'm so happy I did it. I'm not better, but I'm bettering myself. You know, eight years ago, I was taking 90 milligrams of citalopram, 300 times three of progabapentin, and 300 milligrams of trazodone at night. And then I started taking bupropion. And eventually with therapy and all that I was able to do with that whole thing, is, and I was able to get down to like just 10 milligrams of citalopram. But then that whole thing happened with that anxiety episode I talk about, um, I think in like the third episode of this podcast and I had to go back up a bit in my citalopram because it wasn't the right dose for me so now I'm back at 30 milligrams and I am going to get off my medication because that's a goal of mine but that's not because I'm by any means better I mean look I encourage you all to take the leap but step by step say the word do the work it's how to live it really is now if you want to um, try out sobriety fucking do it okay if you think you drink or smoke too much weed or, you know, party too much, take the weekend and don't party. And fight those urges and prove to yourself that you are in control of your actions because you are. And you deserve to be proud of yourself in your resilience. Now, my big tip to you, if you want to take it seriously, is you just don't have the first one. Because if you don't have the first one, then you don't have the second, third, fourth, fifth, 20th. And that was how I was able to remain sober this, this whole time. And I, I still am, you know, I still consider myself sober. <laughs> so yeah, you know, please hit me up. Please send me your MP3s of you reacting to what I'm saying. If you disagree with something I say, or if you agree, please send me some MP3s. I really need to do a, 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 a crowdsource emotional growth episode a Chris responds episode maybe I don't know and eventually you know what I plan to get a real therapist on the show with me because that would be fun yeah anyways like I said uh next episode probably gonna have uh a guest I'm looking at you guys to help me out here so uh you know who knows all I know is that um anything I said in this episode you know it was my truth it's not the truth it's not your truth but it's mine and I own it uh, and if you disagree with anything, please, by all means, come at me, bro. I want to open up the conversation. This has been Cheaper Than Therapy, and thank you so much for listening. I feel pretty good right now that I've said all that shit because I've been harboring that for a long time. All right, now go out and get your shit done, you know? All right, thanks, guys, for listening. Bye-bye.